Welcome to Real Talk with Christina and Libby. In this podcast, we're going to talk about faith unfiltered from a lens outside of the shiny, happy people. We're excited to have you joining us, and we can't wait for you to hear today's episode. Girl, Real Talk, the women of the Bible were pretty hardcore. You know what? <laughs> I feel like I've discovered them in my adulthood, and it's been so fun because I just never realized that they were as cool as they were. The the homeschool religious sect that I grew up in. Yeah. Or I was around because I didn't, my parents didn't I know incorporate exactly those rules. what you're talking about. Yeah. My parents didn't incorporate those rules, but I grew up around those people, right? Mm-hmm. And there was this um, almost derogatory or subservient view of women. Totally. And um, the Bible verses that were used to talk about women were very much about like the submission verses or... Um, if you were too pretty, you showed up too pretty right. to church, someone would pull you aside and say, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is worthy to be praised. And I'm like, cool, but can I be hot too? Like, is Yeah, that- we learned last week that you can. Like, <laughs> Well, maybe what is your reason? However, yeah. you know, it's okay to be a hardworking woman who isn't just at home and isn't just... Um, You're not a baby and sandwich machine only. Right. You you can have more. And it shows because God chose these poignant women to be like, this is a point I need to make. You can be a judge. You can be a queen. You can be Mm -hmm. a mother. You can be a harlot. A harlot. Well, you can, I, hold on. I'm Wait, sorry. You Let cannot me. be a harlot, but he can use you, you can, if you're he a harlot. You can use a harlot, exactly. And two of those women, including Rahab, the harlot, were included in the lineage of Jesus. Yeah. Which is profound. So the That's lineage crazy. of the Savior yeah. has a Gentile Ruth, a Gentile. Yeah. And Rahab, a Gentile, and a harlot. Yeah. I mean, talk about, you want to talk about inclusivity. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Um, so I guess with my hints, you probably can tell we are going to be talking about, um, Christina is going to talk about Esther, Ruth, and Deborah, mm-hmm. and I'm going to talk about Rahab, Mary, and Sarah. And these are just three, each of our favorite women of the Bible. Um, they're pretty great. Oh yeah. I'm excited to talk about them. So do you want to get started with Rahab? Because I've I'm not going to lie, like, we haven't had a lot of time to converse about what we've been researching this week, and I'm dying to know what you learned about her. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it's often said that Rahab, while being a true historical person, also serves as a symbolic foreshadowing of the type of the church of Gentile believers. She was the first Gentile convert, right? Like, she lived in um, Jericho, which was one of the principal seats of idol worship and being a harlot, like she would have been absolutely executed if they had known what she was doing. What she was doing in terms of converting, hiding the spies, right? Hiding the spies. So for context, everyone, I'm sure you know the story, but in case you don't, Joshua sends spies into Jericho to scout out the city and figure out what the situation is. And this is before the, you know, the marching around the city seven times the walls come tumbling down seven times, right? Something like that. Yeah, I think so. And um, Rahab hides Caleb and one other spy. I'm horrible with names. I wouldn't Okay. There are two spies that go in. Rahab hides them and they convert her. Like she becomes Mm -hmm. a believer of like Judaism at the time, right? No. 
she feels God pull and she like knows that's what she's supposed to do. Isn't that crazy? You get she got a call to action and she followed it. Yeah. And that's a huge thing that we as believers fail to do sometimes because we get so caught up in I don't know the you know, well, we can just have faith that Jesus is real. And it's like, no, when he the calls you, yes, when he calls you, you move. Yeah. That's why I feel like a lot of times people like this or the hardcore stories you hear of like, this person was in prison for 25 years for murdering somebody. And then now they love Jesus with their whole heart and they're super passionate about they it. They have nothing to lose. They have nothing to lose because that they felt called mm-hmm. versus for me. I know growing up in a Christian household, we went to church. We did the things, we did the motions and I didn't have a, I mean, I felt like I had, you know, revelations over and over like, Oh, you know, I love Jesus and I knew him and I, I mean, I didn't know him, but I knew of him and I knew that I wanted him and I knew that I wanted to be a part of it. And I, every time that I felt like I was giving my life to Christ, which I did a lot of times, cause I was like, just in case, you know, just in case that wasn't the right one. <laughs> I was really scared that it was, I was going to be left behind. But anyways, I used to live in so much crisis about like, am I saved? Am I yeah. saved? Am I saved? And now, you know, what's funny in my adulthood, I know I am. And there's so much peace that whenever I have a rapture scare, <laughs> I'm like, no way I'd be taken. And I'm certain, I'm certain I'm like. I'll be like, where's my, where, where's my family? Why can't I hear from anyone? Well, it's not the rapture because I know I'd be up there with them. And right. that's actually like a really cool sense of peace or that a is. profound sense of arrogance. That is. <laughs> you know, I didn't feel like I had a personal relationship with God until I found myself pregnant. And then I was like, oh, I need you. I can't do this without you. Yeah. And whenever I've, like I've talked about before, whenever you have a, a baby as a teenager or outside of wedlock or like anything that's not exactly what you're supposed to do in the Bible. Everybody knows you're carrying around a literal example of what your sin life was. And it's like, okay, look at me. I was a harlot. Well, how do you think Rahab felt? How do you think Mary felt segueing into Mary a little bit? My mom, my mom actually asked me the other day, she goes, have you ever asked Elizabeth what she thinks about Mary? Mm. She literally asked me that. And I said, what what do you mean? She's not Catholic. Like (laughs) she doesn't have like some elevated view of Mary. And she goes, yeah, but Elizabeth was a teen mom too. Yeah. And an unwed teen mom. And I was like, where are you, what are you getting at? Are you dunking on my best friend? Like what? (laughs) And she was like, no, my point is that like, even when Jesus was going to the crucifixion, right? Apparently, and I don't know which verse this is and I didn't look it up. I'm sorry, but he was being referred to as the bastard son of Mary. Yeah. Which means even 33 years later, people were thinking that he was fatherless, right? Right. So she carried that burden, not just throughout her entire pregnancy, but for 33 more years being looked down upon. And how do you think like Joseph was probably looked down upon their whole family because it was just this back then it was such a hallmark of shame. And so my mom was like, I would love to hear what Elizabeth has to say about Mary. Libby, sorry. Why do I always do That's that? That's okay. <laughs> well, it's interesting to me because being a teen mom then was not uncommon. It was very normal. Well, but being, but being an married un- yeah. teen mom was a big and, deal. And it was a big deal. Whereas when you were pregnant, being a teen mom was more of a big deal, but being unmarried was kind of ain't no thing. Right, for sure. You know. A teen mom wasn't, well, in the culture we grew up, being a teen mom, 
especially outside of marriage, was like the worst thing a parent could dream of, right? And I remember when I was about to give birth, my dad was like, bet you don't see people young like this very often. And they were like, we literally had like a 12-year-old and four 14-year-olds like two days ago. Oh my and my mom, my dad was like, oh, hey, that's not too bad then. <laughs> and I was like, thank you, dad. That's helpful. <laughs> that was the perspective that he needed. Yeah, he's it's like, funny oh, because okay. in, our, in the circles we grew up in, it's like, oh, your kid's a drug addict and he's in prison for like murdering people, but at least they didn't have a pregnant, like, you yeah, know. Yeah, no, it was like really shameful. It was really shameful. Like not quite to that level, but it was pretty close. Yeah, I mean, like, hey, Definitely was not compared to a murderer, but like, I mean, I think that some people would rather their kid be like secretly a drug addict or something that they can hide. Yeah. Because uh, it meant familial failure is how our how yeah. our circle looked at it. Like, yeah. oh, the parents did something wrong and your child's loose. It was like this total condemnation on the entire house, mm-hmm. which I'm sure it was tenfold back then with Mary, but like. Yeah. Well, and I mean, Rahab was not viewed as anybody. She was just the least of these. Um, and she was ultimately redeemed and became the lineage of Jesus. Yeah. Like that's insane. You know, she, um, the, the Bible talks about, you know, ask, you need to ask God, accept him into your heart. But it also says, um, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. This is a gift gift from God. God. Rahab felt that gift. So much so that she was like, it's worth dying. That's what I was saying about people, you know, in prison that are like so sold out for God. I mean, if you think about um, Brian Head Welch from Corn, he was, his testimony is amazing. And I highly recommend everybody go listen to it. The after Korn this podcast. Saved? Oh my gosh. Yes. That band is Have freaky. Have you never heard this story? No. Dude, he was I knew Alice about, Cooper was saved, but I didn't know that he was about was to do, I'm probably going to butcher it, but. Basically, y'all need to go look at it. His I am second, I think, is the interview. Yeah. Okay. Um, but he was, like, about to do a line of cocaine with a crisp $100 bill. And his daughter came in singing All Day I Dream About Sex. And he was like, God, if you're real, like, I'm done. And he sold everything and moved to Israel. And, like. No way. Yeah. I've met him. He's really nice. That's incredible. Yeah. Anyways, God can use the least of these and the people we think we, as believers, cast aside. Yeah. We're like, absolutely, oh, God, look at them. Look Radical at their sin. Redemption. And then we get stuck in the lukewarm, and they shoot up out of us and create crazy ministries because we're just stuck here doing the day-to-day things. Yeah, I think it's in- incredible when kids are allowed to choose their faith. You know? I'm not going to force it on. I mean, I want my child, I'm going to lead my child in the way he should go. But when he ultimately chooses his faith, oh, how incredible will that A lot more powerful, be? for sure. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about Mary. Well, let me pull my notes. <laughs> One of the things, so obviously she was a teen mom. Yeah. And um, she, a lot of times, is praised and held with honor and holiness. And she wasn't anything more than the body at that which delivered Jesus. I want to disagree slightly. I don't believe she's holy. Okay. Um, and I don't believe that she's like an intercessor personally. Okay. Right. I don't, I don't necessarily see scriptural grounds for that. Someone might correct me. There might be some, I don't know. But I do think that she is exceptional and should be considered a saint in the regard that she, um, she signed up for difficulty 
And she signed up for difficulty. It wasn't like Rahab, where Rahab was already broken and shattered and signed up for difficulty and was radically redeemed. Mary was engaged to a man that she loved. She had been living a righteous and upright life. And the Holy, like the Lord came to her. An angel came to her. Yeah. And she signed up for something that was going to bring her and her family a lot of shame and could potentially cost her a marriage to a man that she loved. Yeah. Because she knew it was the right thing. Like she wanted, you know, like that she was bought in. And so I think that Mary is more than just the conduit through which Jesus was born. Well, one time Jesus was speaking and a woman in the crowd proclaimed, blessed is the woman who bore you and the breast at which you nursed, which is Luke eleven twenty seven. And there was never a better opportunity for Jesus to declare that Mary was indeed worthy of praise and adoration. But Jesus's response was on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. He was even like, yeah, cool. But God yeah. did it. You he know, takes the, the praise from her. So but she could have been like, yeah, my mom's real cool. Yeah. You know? I feel that rubs me the wrong way. Okay. It does. And I, um, I was talking to someone today who was talking about the breadth of the Greek language, right? Which mm-hmm. is what the Old Testament was originally written in. New yeah. Testament, not the Old Testament. New I know Testament what you meant. Was, Old Testament was Hebrew. Yeah. And um, and how there's like 60 million words in the Greek language. Mm-hmm. And there's like 200,000 in the English language. Yeah. So every time I find myself kind of mm, about something in the Bible, I'm like, okay, I need to submit to this because it's biblical. It doesn't matter how I feel about it, but... Let me go understand what the Greek translation is trying to say. Because I bet you, and I'll go look it up later and we'll maybe we'll talk about it next week. I bet you the Greek translation is slightly different in terms of that phrasing. But maybe. Tell us a little bit more. Well, I was literally about to look it up. But anyways. Um, one thing that I loved about Mary when I was reading just and diving deep into her was she marveled at Jesus and treasured up the things in her head. And I love that it says that in the Bible because as moms I do that. Like I, at the end of the day, will lay in bed after I put my kid to sleep. I'm sure somebody will relate to this. And I'm like, oh, I miss them. I can't wait till she goes to bed. But then I miss her or him. What does not matter? But, you know, right now Bonnie's doing so many new things. And so I'll sit there and like play back what she's done. Yeah. Like the other day she came in and out of nowhere, like she did this um, little like sneaky walk that she does where she like kind of hunches over and tiptoes. And then she like put both of her hands out and went <gasps> and just gasped for no reason. And I, we died laughing. It was the funniest thing. And like, I treasure that up and I store those in my heart. I remember when, you know, Liam was learning how to do the, I did it dance when he was potty training. And like, I have that video on my phone and I can play it a hundred times a day and never get bored of it. I treasure those things in my heart. And it's really reminds me that Mary, while Jesus was of of God, Mary was human. And that she was like, that's my son. And I love everything he does. Can you imagine raising the, the savior and and knowing that he's perfect? Yeah. And he's always been and always going to be perfect. And you like go to admonish him Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, wait, never mind. This is on me. Maybe, you know, like, you know, imagine having to like parent yourself through that process a little bit. I feel like that would be so frustrating. But um, I do think she was a pretty incredible woman. And, um, and she had to suffer a lot. I mean, she watches her son go through his ministry. 
you know, she knows that this is what he's made for. She probably knows at some point that he's born to die. Mm -hmm. You know, she knows that he's being geared up for ministry. He's, you know, out, out racing her for outranking her from a knowledge and wisdom perspective, probably at a fairly early age. Right. Yeah. And then he starts his ministry at 30 and all of a sudden he's going around the entire country and he's talking to people and he's putting himself at risk. And then there's that, did you watch that scene from the chosen? It's in season three. I don't know if you watched the chosen season three. I don't but, think I've gotten to three yet. I okay. I'm on two. Incredible. And it's the, it talks about, I don't know exactly where this is in the Bible, but it talks about where it shows the scene where Jesus comes back and he's like doing the reading for the temple because of, uh, it's like some festival is happening. It might be, it might be Passover. I'm not hundred percent sure. And, um, and this is where he announces that like, he's the son of God. Yeah. And, um, someone was like, you are not above the law or whatever. And he goes, I am the law. And it was the most epic scene. Uh, she's there. Right. And everyone's kind of like looking at her, like, are you going to handle this? Are you going to handle your kid? And she has to sit back and like feel that pressure and feel that fear for him and feel like this woman had the most, probably one of the most painful motherhoods we can think of because she just knew that her child was born to die at some point and had to watch him go into this ministry and take on more and more and more risk. And then she had to watch him be crucified and brutally, brutally murdered. Yeah. By the peop- by her people. Like, can you imagine how she felt? No, I can't. I, um, I think it's funny when Jesus was at the temple when he was 12 and she couldn't find him. Which, oh my gosh, scary. Yeah. Um, but that's one of the things it says right after that is she treasured these things up in her heart and pondered them. Like... Oh, my son, who is also God, got lost. But of course he's speaking the word. <laughs> like, I don't know that I would be pondering those things, but it just goes to see how, like, sweet and obedient she was because she was like, I know this is right for him and it might go against everything that's in my mother nature. Right. But, you know, I treasure him and I treasure the Lord and what he's asked me to do. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, she's the Virgin Mary. But, um, I mean, she she wasn't forever, right? Like they got married and had had more kids. And so it wasn't like she was just sitting around being like, Oh, what was me? Virgin Mary? Like (laughs) she had other kids, but she had to probably, you know, yell out at the supermarket. Can you imagine? Hold on. Who are full of sinners. You know, she had one perfect kid. (laughs) At least four to five other little sinners. (laughs) Yeah. Other little sinners. Can you imagine (laughs) If she had like nothing had happened after that and she just had to go through oh. like pregnancy and all the shame, but none of the enjoyment in making the kid. Oh, <laughs> that poor woman. That would really suck. Like yeah. I would feel so bad for her if they were like, and then Mary never did anything ever again. I'd be like, come on, man. You could, you, why'd you do her dirty like that? Like you could have. That would have really been she awful. She could have had some fun, you know? Yeah, but she did apparently, you know? Yeah. Well, four or five kids. She had a lot of fun. Yeah, she did. So are you, how's that are you good on Mary? Have you, is there anything else you discovered that you want to cover? Cause I'm chomping at the bit to dive into Deborah. Do it. Okay. So I want to start this with a funny story and Elizabeth knows the story well. Cause I called her upset about it when it happened. So a while back, um, like sometime last year, I was seeing this guy and we were like on again and off again. It was really frustrating. Ugh. And we both followed this Christian dating account on Instagram <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly what I'm yeah. saying. We both followed this Christian dating account on Instagram. 
And um, so I had been really working hard on being in my biblical femininity over the last year. And I felt like so many things around me were changing and the Lord was guiding me in this direction of really embracing femininity and embracing these softer traits. And I had always been like very vigilant, very courageous and very powerful and uh, business oriented and driven. And I lived in that, what I thought was like more masculine. And so as I start diving into like this more nurturing and caregiving and softer and getting back in touch with my emotions, it's a very tenuous path because I am not used to it and it feels foreign and scary. And I had told myself like emotions are not a good thing, push them aside. Right now I'm having to open back up Pandora's box for the sake of being an emotionally healthy person and an emotionally healthy woman. And so Mm -hmm. I am reading this, um, this post is about like when you ask God for a godly woman and he says, well, are you a godly man? And (laughs) this guy that I had been kind of dating on and off wrote under the post, when you pray for an Esther and God sends you a Deborah. (laughs) Oof. And I was so offended because Deborah, to me, I knew enough about Deborah to know that she was like a judge and a warrior in the Bible and that she was appointed to the shame of the men around her. Yeah. But Esther is like this very feminine queen who saves this entire existence of her people. And I just had always loved Esther so much and knew very little about Deborah. I was devastated. I was like, I'm never going to be a good woman. Like, this is how men are going to always see me. And who knows if it was even about me. Like, we need to preface it. We never had a discussion. I am jumping to wild conclusions here. But this is how it made me feel. So that's what I'm talking about. And I think I was a really good friend. I was like, but Deborah's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. You were like, Deborah's really cool. You should dive in. And so I started diving (laughs) in because I was like, really mad. (laughs) I was offended. And I was like, I'll be damned if you think you're going to talk about me like that. Yeah, but it quickly became a compliment. It quickly became a compliment. So Deborah was... Um, a woman who was appointed as the mother, a mother of Israel. And so there's a verse where um, in Judges where they're saying, wake up, Deborah, wake up, break out in song, arise, Barak, take captive your captive son of Abinoam. And so it's a poem talking about Deborah's appointment to being a judge. Um, so the Israelites had sinned against the Lord. He sold them to, Cana- to the Canaanites. And this went on for 20 years. And then the Israelites cried out for the Lord for help. And then Deborah at that time was leading Israel as a judge. So she sends for Barak, who is a commander in Israel's army. And she's like, hey, go fight the Canaanites. And Barak's like, I mean, only if you're coming, girl. And she was like, what? Like, are you serious? Like, he was like, I'm not, I'm not going unless you're going. Uh-huh. And she was like, that's fine. But the honor will not go to you. The Lord will deliver Sisera, which is, the, uh, I guess, the commander of that army, into the hands of a woman, which is like my favorite quote where she's like, Heck that's yeah. fine, but God's going to deliver him to the hands of a woman. It's almost like a big, like, you know, it reminds okay. me of like the burns that boys tell when they're like yeah. little or they're like, what are you, a girl? You know what I mean? Like it felt like she kind of dunked on him in that same yeah. way. And so I love it. <laughs> and the Lord, the Lord delivers them into, um, into the hands of Barack and, and Deborah. And it's just, it's amazing. She, she was this amazing woman, but she wasn't just walking into battle. She was also like, there were so many different things she did. She held court under the palm of Deborah. Um, so Israelites would come up to her and have their disputes decided. She was a woman of great wisdom and revelation and discernment. And she also had a prophetic gift. So mm-hmm. she knew the times and seasons of the Lord. So she clearly heard the voice of the Lord. 
And she was just, she was a warrior. She was so strong. She found encouragement and strength and worship to be obedient of everything the Lord was asking her to do. Mm. If she had played small in her life, she would not have had all the experiences that led her to being used by the Lord to deliver Israel from bondage. And she wouldn't have had the wisdom. She wouldn't have had the revelation to judge disputes. And she would not have heard the Lord's strategic battle plans as an intercessor. And it's so interesting because I was talking to someone about this podcast we were doing. And they were in the military. And they said, well, it's interesting because sometimes feminine battle strategies win the war. Yeah. For example, who knows if Deborah? he said there's a strategy where um, you kind of let, if, if, you're, if you're battling against someone who's got more mass, like bigger army, you yeah. let them take the middle ground and you kind of loop around them. Yeah. And then you trap them in and you push them in and you kill them like that. And you like circle them. And he's like, that's kind of more of a passive strategy, right? Like almost, yeah. and when you think passive, you think feminine. Yeah. And who knows if Deborah didn't like employ those exact strategies. And I was just thinking, that's so cool. Like yeah, she's totally. a military strategist. That's awesome. People talk about like Athena, the goddess of wisdom and the goddess of like military strategy and like the Roman right. and Greek mythology. And I'm like, I see your Athena and I raise you Deborah, like someone who actually existed <laughs> right. and was way cool and had that wisdom and had that discernment and had that military um, expertise. Um, so I'm reading off of this really amazing women's Bible study. I'll link it in our um, in our description of our podcast so that you can see that these words are not mine. They belong to someone else. But she, the Lord, she's called. One of the sections says she is called and we are called. And I thought that was so well said that I had to include it in my notes. The Lord prepared Deborah in the secret place of her worship, which helped her grow in confidence in hearing God's voice. Mm. That stuck with me because I was listening to a sermon a couple months back. Mm, I love that. I love that, right? Mm -hmm. I was listening to a sermon a couple months back and this pastor was talking with his son. I guess his son is overseas. Maybe he's doing mission work. And he was like, I'm just talking to God about what I should eat today. And his dad was like, why are you asking God that? You know? Yeah. And his son said, if I don't learn to hear God's voice and all the little things, how am I going to hear his voice in the big things? Mm, that's really good. Oh my gosh. It stuck with me because I don't ask for God's help in the little things. But then I get all grandiose with the big things. And I'm like, I'm going to fast and pray. Like, that's what I, you, how many times have you heard me say that? I'm going to fast and pray for the Lord's wisdom. And it's like, okay, that's great. That's biblical. But like, what if we just had a conversation with him every day? And that's what Deborah was doing in her secret place of worship. Her intentional connection to God through worship gave her confidence as she discerned the time to go to war. And the Lord will do the same with us as we grow deeper in our relationship with God he will guide us to clarity around our call for this season of kingdom work. Oh. God can use us in many ways to conf and God can use many ways to confirm our calling to us over and over and over again. And as Christ followers, we are embarking on an exciting journey of serving the Lord here on earth. And that applies to men and women as Deborah exhibited. Yeah. Isaac the other day um, was at lunch with his stepmom and some woman came up to him and was like, I don't know why, but God's telling me to tell you this and I, I need to obey him. Um, he, he wants you to know that you're anointed and that you're a last hour worker. And I'm not sure what that means to you, but that's what he's told me to say. And like, first of all, that's a calling from God. Right. And so I told Isaac, um, you know, you need to pray for 
either very clear words from God or if somebody else can like confirm it. Like how many ways can he confirm this so that you know what it means? Because there could be a lot of different things. We looked it up and like whatever, but, um, that's awesome. But it also points back to Rahab where like, if you feel called, you need to do it. Right. Take action. So yeah, you need to have action. And Deborah was definitely a woman of action. When I was, when I was in high school or early college, I was, um, so I must've been home for the summer. If I was in college, I was driving to Starbucks and at my dad's office, which is where we're recording from, at the time, the next door neighbors, the southbound neighbors, mm-hmm. um, were Jehovah, were latter, no, Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? Mm-hmm. And the little old lady would sit out there with her pamphlets and wait for anyone to walk by and tell them about Jehovah's Witness, not Jesus, Jehovah's Witness, like being a Jehovah's Witness. Right. And I drove past her and the Lord was like, you need to go sit and talk with her and witness to her. And I was like, no, (laughs) that's hilarious. That's so funny. That's not going to happen. I'm driving. The Holy Spirit's just working on me, working on me. And I'm like, okay, I start bartering, which is so typical. I was like, look, I'm going to go to Starbucks. And if on my way back, she's still out there, I'll stop. She was out there. Yeah. But, but it gets better. I'm in the Starbucks line. I'll never forget Starbucks at Katie Mills. You know, the Mm -hmm. one. And, um, I'm like, oh, Lord, I really don't want to do this. Please don't make me do this. And the Holy Spirit says to me, this is what it looks like to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if you don't want this, you don't want me. Ouch. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to go talk to this little old lady about Jehovah's witness. She believes 144,000 people made it. I'm not one of them. So I don't know how I'm going to have this conversation. So I pull up and I sit next to her and I have the most fruitless conversation of my life for an hour. Ugh. For an hour, I sit on the concrete and I try to talk to her about Jesus and she will not deviate from the script. And I just was like, Lord, I don't know what the purpose of that was, but looking back, maybe it did something to her. I don't know, but it definitely you a seed. did something to me. Oh yeah. And maybe that was all that mattered, yeah. you know? And so that was just so heavy thinking about mm-hmm. women obeying callings, right? Which is a theme that we're seeing over and over again. We're about to dive in Esther. Yeah. No one obeyed a calling more than Esther did. Like her life was, well, I mean, they all did, but like her life was on the line and she followed this calling and it's just, that's available to all of us. Right. Yeah. And Maybe not always in that big grand way, but I mean, you can have little things like a sidewalk conversation or we went to Jackson Hole this summer and we were in the airport and I saw a woman who was putting cremated remains through, um, the baggage claim or security or whatever. Yeah. Whatever. She was going through security and there was some trouble with it or something. I don't know, but she was behind us and I noticed it. Yeah. And having just lost my dad, I was like dying (laughs) that that was happening behind me. I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't. And I just felt like the need to, tell her I'm sorry and that, you know, I'd pray for her and I didn't. And then I saw her again. We made eye contact and I didn't. And I saw her like three more times when we made eye contact and we didn't. Finally, we have like a massive delay and I'm standing and waiting to get back on and figure out what we were doing. And she's right behind me. Mm. I was like, ugh, I don't want to talk to somebody because what if she like gets offended that I'm bringing up her grief? Like, yeah. I can't do this. Sometimes I feel and, like the Lord plays T-ball with us, though. He's yeah. like, here it is on the T. It's easy. Yeah. It's right here. Come on, baby. Let's go. Yeah. And 
So I said, I'm sorry to be nosy and this might not be what you need to hear, but I just feel led to tell you like on this flight, I'm going to intentionally pray for you today. I saw your bag and I just lost my dad. Um, so I sympathize from what you're going through and I understand how hard this must be. Um, and I'm praying, I'm praying for you. And she was like, she grabbed my hand and was like, thank you. Mm-hmm. And I just like, we didn't talk at all after that. It wasn't like we went into a story. I don't know who she was or what was happening, but she needed it, you know? Yeah, it's beautiful. But can you imagine the kind of um, <laughs> confirmation from a call to action that would be needed than what Sarah needed? Oh my gosh. Sarah, talk about a story of faith. Oh. Dig in, please. I feel for that woman. Yes. Can you imagine, like, I'm 28 and unmarried, and I'm like, TikTok, Lord, TikTok. <laughs> this woman's 90, right? Isn't she mm-hmm. also ni- without a child? Right. And the Lord's like, I'll give you a child. And she's like, <laughs> it's funny. She literally laughs. Well, and what's crazy to me is that this was 25 years of infertility. God promised Abraham, Abram at the time, that he was going to you know have as many children as the stars in the sky and lead nations like all the things right 10 years later is when sarah was like you know you could always go sleep with hagar (laughs) and maybe that's what god meant yeah definitely not why don't we help him out a little bit yeah going through four years of infertility felt like the most daunting thing i've ever been through and i definitely have some like really bad anxiety because of it now um working through it but that's fine at 25 years, I would have, I would have given up like also year 10 for sure. Like yeah. year five, kidding? we were approaching like, I mean, I wanted to be pregnant, so I would never have been like, go sleep with somebody else, babe. <laughs> Absolutely not my baby. I want a redhead. So no, but I could see the idea of being desperate. I could see the idea of being like, well, we could, I don't know. And I never got to that point, but 10 years down, I would. Yeah. It wasn't until Ishmael was 13 that God finally said, okay, Abraham, you need to be circumcised. And next year, you'll have a baby. He finally gave him a timeline. Um, or about a year. So this is 25 years in the making, almost. And he finally does. Sarah, I'm sure Abraham came to Sarah and was like, hey, babe. So God God said, uh, they say, hey, babe, in back then so yeah, hey babe hey babe. hey babe god just told me that next year you're gonna you're gonna get pregnant and she just laughed and at the beginning I mean, she was probably postmenopausal. maybe at the beginning she may have laughed in disbelief and secrecy but now once um isaac was born she laughed with joy And wanted her situation to be known. That's why she called him Isaac, which means to laugh. Because she was like, God has been faithful and kept his promise and blessed me in the wildest way. Um, We can learn that God's timing is always perfect through her. That's a really hard lesson to learn. That is a really hard lesson to learn. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I hate that lesson so much. Me too. I, um, it's funny because, you know, the Bible talks about in the Old Testament how stubborn the Israelites were. Yeah. And, um, I'll read the old Testament. And once I was reading through the old Testament, I was like, these stubborn Israelites, they just don't get it. The Lord was like, huh, 
<laughs> the Lord just pressed on my heart this conviction that that is me. Like I am, I am that stubborn. I am that broken. I am that impatient. And so I can't even sit from a place of condemnation or judgment for Sarah because I, I get it. I get it. It kills me to wait. I hate waiting. I lose faith so fast. The woman waited 10 years before she took any action. I'm impressed she made it that long. Yeah. I wouldn't have. Are you kidding? Yeah, I don't think I, I would have either. I hope one day I can. I hope one day I have that kind of faith and that kind of resilience. But I feel like we read these stories and we are so, we have just been trained and cultured by religion to be so condemning. Like, yeah. oh, and this is what you shouldn't do. And it's like, okay, but like, let's read these stories with humility and empathy. The yeah, woman as tried if you for wouldn't. 10 years. Gosh, I mean, that. You, and good luck getting me to wait one. Okay? Right. Are you kidding? A lot of people believe that infertility is a punishment. It's not. Ugh. There's nothing about it that's an, that's a punishment. We can learn that God's timing is always perfect. Nothing is impossible with God. Um, but there's a lot of people that I've learned going through infertility. I think we've talked, touched on this a little bit before, but the, the idea of, well, what did you do? Like Sarah. What kind of question is that? Yeah. Sarah literally did though. Sarah did in our eyes, right? give her husband to Hagar. But God doesn't hold it against us when we mess up. He still Amen. gave her the son he promised. He wasn't like, well, that's it. You screwed up. No yeah. more baby. I'm sure for that extra 15 years, she was like, oopsies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. What a good point, though, that the Lord's love doesn't change for us based on our disobedience. Thank God. Thank God. Gosh. Oh. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I'd be screwed. I'd be screwed. Mm-hmm. I just, it's... It's so profound, and I love that you pointed that out. And you know what's funny? Just a total sidebar, and then we'll segue into Esther. Um, Sarah got real jealous once Hagar slept with Abraham. Yeah. And she, like, threw her out. And if that doesn't tell you about the sanctity of marriage and the brokenness of, of yeah. sexual misconduct with anyone else when you're in that covenant of marriage, yeah, I'm like... I've been cheated on by a boyfriend and it wrecked me. I cannot imagine being cheated on by my husband. No. And I mean, he cheated, but it was kind of like a little bit different situation, but like it still shattered her. Yeah. She consented, but it wasn't like good. That's why I'm like, babe, we're not going to be too freaky in our marriage. (laughs) I don't share. Okay. And he's like, great. I didn't want to share. And I'm like, okay, cool. Because we were like dating. I was like, this is something that's never happening. And he was like, great. I didn't want this to happen. I was like, cool. Yeah, but I don't even you know, understand that. Me but. either. But with Sarah, we can also remember that wives need to submit to their husbands. You know, he said this was going to happen. She should have listened. And finally, talking his ear off enough, because that was not a like a quick thing. It wasn't like she was like, "Hey, she worked on him." Hey, babe. Yeah. Because I say, babe. <laughs> hey, babe. Abraham. <laughs> Abby, man. You know, you should go sleep with Hagar. And he was like, "Yes, ma'am. My clothes are off. Like that's not how that worked." <laughs> And he was like, say no more. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was like, at least like from your eight to 10, she was like, Hey babe, go sleep with her. Hey babe, sleep with her. Just give me a baby. Like, I don't even care where it comes from. Just give me a kit. It doesn't really matter. Did God really say that? Who did he say it came from? Did, did it have God to come... really say that? Mm-hmm. It's so scary. When people say that to you, Ooh, uh-huh. did God really say that? That's literally why the whole world fell. Satan was like, but did God really say you couldn't eat from that tree? That is like a hallmark of evil across the yes. Bible. I mean, it doesn't say that the Bible doesn't say that she said that to him. But like, come on. Women can be manipulative. Don't yeah. you know she was like not Especially submitting to her a husband? A broken woman and a yeah. hurting woman and a woman who feels confused. 
Yeah. Yeah. You following see God. Me when I'm confused. My family's like, quit gaslighting us. <laughs> following like, God isn't easy, <laughs> but it's always worth it. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Tell me about segueing into Queen Esther. Esther. Oh my girl, I love her. Mm. When I was probably twenty, I felt like the Lord put a calling on my life that I was born to the kingdom for such a time as this, which mm-hmm. is Esther uh, six six, I think four six. I, I really need to remember. Where okay. these verses I literally are. can't remember numbers, words, whatever. No, but my she, brain is foggy. So Mordecai says to her, I, I want to quote this verse. Um, can you pull it up for me? Mm-hmm. For the kingdom is such a time as this. I can say the verse, but I want to know the exact address. I think it's Esther 4, 6. So Mordecai says to Esther, um, he's like, hey, you got to go say something. You know, Haman's about to execute all the Jews. Like he's, he's creating a plan. He's working with Xerxes. He's convinced Xerxes that the Jews are going to rise up against him and you've got to, you've got to say something because you're Jewish and you're the king's wife. And she's like, I don't know, man. And Mordecai says to her, if you don't do this, someone else will, the Lord will bring someone up, rise. Someone else will rise up from the Lord to do this and you will be dishonored. But who knows whether you were born to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows whether... 414. 414. Wow, I was For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. 414. I was totally off base. Um, Anyways. Sorry about that. But... You're close. Not even, but thank you. (laughs) So I... That... Like, when I read that verse for the first time, it stuck with me, this idea of being born for something. Yeah. And when I felt that calling on my life, I still don't know exactly what it means and exactly what I'm born for. And I may never know. I make it to heaven. Lord will be like, you were born for this. And it'll be this beautiful, like divine story ending. Well, here's the thing. It doesn't have to be grandiose. You don't have no, to be a it queen. Doesn't. I will tell you right now. I would like to be. But... Yeah. <laughs> be somebody's queen. But I don't think you're going to be a queen. You're going to do that. But you never know. I could start a sure. country. <laughs> Dream on. Um, no, but like, I just want to tell you something and I'm going to get sappy, but like to me for my life, if I could just impact one person, it was enough and it was what God wanted me to do. And I know you fulfilled that in my life. Oh, <laughs> you're making me cry on a podcast. Don't cry to the club right now. But, <laughs> but like, that's so nice. I really do believe though. Like if you know, your new job takes you somewhere else, like, and we never speak again, no, that won't happen. But if it did... It won't. We went, f- like, 10 years without speaking. It won't so happen like, again. But if it did... It won't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> You're making me so much better about myself. But if it did, this last year was what was there for. Mm. What I needed. You and I needed you me. for the yeah. same thing, you know? And it's... I Okay, enough being sappy. I'm going to, like, uh, actually cry. So. <laughs> oh, I love you. I love you. But Esther... Back to Esther. I mean, that calling is so profound and it's so powerful. And Esther saved the lineage of the Jews, right? So like Esther was in the direct line of, like, she, I don't know if she was in the direct line of Jesus, but she certainly preserved the lineage of right. Jesus, which is an incredible and powerful thing. So she, is, um, mm, is she? No. I don't. Esther is a direct descendant of Jesse and King David is her great uncle. Okay, so then she is in the lineage of Jesus in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah, she's like a cousin. Yes. Like me and John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> turn, turn dark really fast. <laughs> so she, when she realizes, like, okay, I got to do this, right? 
Like, yeah. this is what I got to do. For, for, for most of her story at the beginning, things kind of happened to Esther, you know? Yeah. Like, she kind of happened into being queen. She kind of, like, God was orchestrating things. And then she kind of takes some ownership. Yeah, Mordecai says that to her, and she's like, all right, I got to step up. And so she starts setting the stage, and she, she risks her life because the king, like, you could not approach the king unless he called for you. And, like, Vashti, the queen before her, had been disbarred because she wouldn't come when the king called. Yeah. And so Esther's going when the king didn't call. She's making an equal risk. And yeah. she, she gets there, and it happens, and everything's okay. By the grace of God, God withheld Xerxes' hand from her. Yeah. And she's like, I want to invite you to a feast. And he's like, okay, love of my life, let's go to a feast. And then at that feast, she's like, I want to invite you to another feast. And if I were him, I'd be like, girl, you can say it at this feast. Like, why do we got to have two, you know? But right. then he moves her, she moves him to another feast, and Haman's there, and, and she tells Xerxes that her people have have been, they're being jeopardized. She says, keep me from the snares they've laid for me from the trap set by evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in safety. She didn't say that, but Psalm says that. And it's a very perfect like description of what Esther was going through and what yeah. Esther was praying for and what Esther was asking Xerxes for. So Haman in this, pa- in this banquet is exposed. He's put to death on the pole that was erected in his front yard to kill Mordecai her uncle that's amazing yeah that's like some you know when they say god like vengeance his mind says the lord yeah i'm like it better look like that lord <laughs> yes. i want to I see some petty looking vengeance up there <laughs> I, I, I really want it to be full circle petty that's what i want it's not enough if it's not and i need to just submit my will but there have been some times where i'm like i can help do you want me to help? Do I can make it to, real petty. Can <laughs> we set the stage? Yes, exactly. And he's like, now it's not going to be petty because of you. Then it wouldn't be about me. So again, this section is called, she is called and we are called. And uh, before that, favor follows Esther from the moment she came to the royal palace, but the king's edict makes it possible for the Jews to protect themselves and be safe in every city in the kingdom. So Queen Esther's actions helped change the fate of her people, not only by rescuing them from Haman, but by keeping them safe and sheltering them from anything else that could happen in that kingdom, which was Persia, I believe. So she is called and we are called. In our society, I love this note, there is a notion that women should be passive and allow men to do whatever they desire. Or maybe an attractive woman is not taken seriously as an intellectual or a businesswoman, and she is told she got ahead of her looks on her looks alone. In times of chaos and complexity of life in America, many women hear statements like, go home. Um, Which I have not personally experienced, but I've definitely experienced prejudice in the workplace because I am a woman but never by people in supreme and like power, which is nice. It's always by people who are like mid-level managers. And I'm like, like, like eh, okay. I don't care. I'll go over your head. Like whatever. But Esther was not a passive pawn in the Persian empire. She leveraged her power to do good for her and for others with less influence. And that's mm. just beautiful. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I love her story. And I love what she did and the courage that she had and how she accepted the call. She heeded the call. And that call was going to jeopardize her life, just like Rahab, right? The call was going to jeopardize Rahab's life. The call changed Mary's life, right? I mean, the call slowed down and stopped Sarah's life. Yeah. It's just the call for Deborah completely radically changed the entire direction of her life. Yeah. But they listened, they heeded, they had the courage and the obedience 
and the faith to heed the call. And that is inspiring, to say the yeah. least. And I feel like all of these stories, there's some people that were referenced later, but most of it, they just end in where their story that was important ends. We, we see, you know, Sarah, there's not a list of her death. They just say when she died. And there's a theory that scholars believe um, because she dies shortly after Isaac, uh, Abraham takes Isaac to the mountain. And like to sacrifice him, yes. potentially. Okay. And there's some scholars, I, there's biblical evidence to an extent. Okay. I don't remember exactly what, but I read it today and it was really interesting to me that um, there's some evidence that points to she could have died of a broken heart. Aww. Imagining, like, this is what God called. I know it's going to happen. And I'm. And now I'm going to lose him. Yeah. And I waited 25 years for this man. And now, you know. Not just 25. She waited 25 on a promise. Yeah. The woman was barren and probably waited almost, like, how old was she when she died? I mean, she was 90 when she had Isaac, right? She lived another 30 years. Okay, so she was 120 when she died. She waited 100 years for that child. Yeah. 100 years for that child. I would die of a broken heart. I'd kill my husband. Oh, yeah. I'd kill him. He'd be dead. You tell me you're going to sacrifice our son up there on that mountain? You're dying. You're getting the sacrifice. Let's go up to the mountain. You're the one. Petty. No. <laughs> but then, like, but that's where her story ends. There's that she did what she was called to do. Mary did what she was called to do. They don't say where Mary died, how she died. Did she ascend into heaven? It says nothing about that. It says she raised Jesus. More like supervised him because she probably didn't have too much correcting. <laughs> Lucky. No. And Imagine that parenting. Gosh. It would have been hard in different ways. Yeah, totally. Um, but when, when, you know, Jesus was not on earth with us anymore, Mary's story didn't continue. Yeah. She um, possibly, I think it was Luke that I think Mary, he took some of Mary's like stories and point of view from. For some of his stories. Interesting. I think she um, inspired him in some things when he was like recounting what was happening. Right. I think she, they believe that she was like kind of chatting with him about it. But other than that, there's nothing else. Rahab, we don't hear about her after that. Mm-hmm. Deborah, sure don't hear from her. No. She's Esther, in like two chapters and that's it. Yeah. I mean, we don't hear from them. Esther because has one women book are called, six chapters long. Women are called to submit to God and their husbands and their people. And these people you know, do what they're told and that's enough. They are crazy strong, important characters that God has set apart and made it ex- like so important for us to follow and listen to and understand. And then, then that's it. And so for me, if my calling is to raise my children, to love the Lord, that's enough for me. You know, We didn't get to touch on Ruth. We're not going to have time to. Ruth was incredible in her own right. But I do want to close it on a verse from Ruth where Ruth is saying this to Naomi, but I think it applies here as well. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you for where you go, I will go. Mm -hmm. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And that is a beautiful message of, and she's not even submitting to a husband. She's kind of in a way because her husband dies and she, she, takes on she continues his lineage by moving with Naomi and and like just his mother right so there is some level of like submission there but at the right, same she time she didn't go back to her family she, she heeded a call yeah 
She could have. She could have gone right back to her family. No, but she heeded the call. She went. Absolutely. And I think that's like the perfect prayer that I want on my heart is like, Lord, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. You are my God. Your people are my people. Like, you lead me and I will follow you in obedience and humility. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what these women came around to and they are hallmarks of faith because of that i don't know what they're necessarily mentioned at one point we need to do a podcast on hebrews 11 which is the faith passage that has the men of whom the world were not worthy i don't think they're referenced there but maybe hebrews they are. 11 11 uses sarah as an example of faith there and by know. faith even sarah who passed childbearing age was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had, who had made the promise so her legacy is considered in the the, the hall, hall of, of fame faith. the hall of faith exactly how beautiful is that this yeah. woman who was impatient and who ordered her husband out <laughs> and she was considered so faithful that she was conclu- included in the hall of faith. That's so crazy. That's redeeming. Yeah. And that's incredible. Hmm. I'm hoping I'm half the woman these women are. Yeah. Well, you guys, I wish we could have touched on Ruth. We are at time. Uh, we totally ran over time actually. I just don't want to keep y'all here for over an hour listening to my, lovely voice um Mm -hmm. but we do (laughs) you're like sure um we really do appreciate you tuning in uh we love sitting here and having these conversations it gives us an opportunity to dig deep into the word and Mm -hmm. share what we learned and and just have the conversations that we have together out loud on a microphone and share them if you guys have any thoughts we'd love to hear from you um feel free to send us a tweet or a I don't know what it's called now that X, it's called X and not Twitter, but feel free to tweet us on X at uh, time to real talk. It's time number two, real talk. Our Instagram is the same thing on Facebook. You can just look up the real talk podcast and that's us. You can also, um, answer our polls that we have. We have two polls underneath our podcast episode. One is just general feedback. One is more pointed feedback for the future direction of the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, anything you have to share with us would be either encouraging or constructive. So next week won't be as long. Nope, it won't. And uh, we really appreciate your time. We're so grateful to be here. And thanks for having us. Talk to y'all soon.